I think that that's a big value of ours is treating people as individuals and also humanizing brands and businesses. And I think that if that's our value, it starts with us humanizing the person that we're talking to as a client, as well as humanizing our following on social media or our podcast listeners. We're really careful about using the word audience. We feel like that can sometimes dehumanize them as these passive listeners, but there's a real human on the other side of the podcast. Somewhere in the craze for online courses and making money in your sleep, service-based businesses got a bad rap. Of course, most of the bad rap really just came from marketers who convinced would-be business owners that passive income and infinitely scalable models were the only way to ensure they would end up overworked and overwhelmed by client work. The other reason I think that service-based businesses got a bad rap was that so many service providers weren't very thoughtful or strategic in how they offered their services, and understandably so. You want to make your clients happy. You want to say yes. You want to close the deal. And so you agree to switching things up, doing things that you're only kind of good at, and going along with what the client wants instead of what you know to be best. And that is all a recipe for taking on too much uninspired work for yourself and for your team. But offering a service doesn't have to be that way. I'm Tara McMullen, and you're listening to What Works, the show that takes you behind the scenes of how small business owners take decisive action to build a stronger business. Offer development is an incredibly important part of running a service-based business. Without a careful strategy and thoughtful process behind how you create value, you are likely to get stuck in the trap of trading time for money or wind up overworked and overwhelmed. That's why I wanted to make sure we included a bespoke service-based business in this series on creating value. I invited India Jackson, the founder of Flaunt Your Fire, a full-service brand visibility agency, to share her approach to how she creates value and constructs the services she offers clients. India is clear on what her agency does and what it does not do. She's clear on why her agency offers the type of engagements it does and why some projects just aren't right for them. And she's clear on how her team adds value to the services the agency provides so India isn't stuck doing everything herself. Even if you don't run a service-based business, this conversation has a lot to offer. Listen in and consider how you might be trying to do too much with your product-based business or how you've succumbed to making offers that aren't aligned with your values or best work. Now, we'll get to this conversation with India in just a minute. But first, don't forget to check out our special bonus series this month for a behind-the-scenes look at how I've developed some of my favorite offers over the years. In the first episode, I shared how we took the commitment blueprint from idea to free offer to paid template to paid live program. And in the second episode, out on Thursday... I'm sharing how Sean and I developed the service package we offer at Yellow House Media. It's the perfect follow-up to this conversation with India. Now, let's find out what works for India Jackson. India Jackson, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to talk about offer development, but we're going to talk about it through the lens of the packages that you have developed, the way you offer your services at Flaunt Your Fire. So before we can get into how you developed them and and how you price them and all of that good stuff, what kind of services do you offer at Flaunt Your Fire? 
Great question. Um, we offer, we call ourselves a brand visibility agency. And so we offer a host of services that support visibility for your brand, but also go into the visual side of that as well. And that looks like everything from consulting to strategy. We also offer tangible design services and photography as well. Okay, awesome. And is that something that you typically are offering on sort of an ongoing basis? Is it more project based? Is it a mix of those things? Um, it's kind of a mix of those things. So I find that a lot of the design services lately have been project based. And maybe that's just because of the uncertainty of the current times is mm -hmm. that, um, you know, consumers and business owners are very conscious of being locked into like a long term, we design everything for your brand. Um, so that's been fine, too. But we typically outside of this year, have a combination of ongoing design and photography services, as well as project based. Um, and then for consulting and strategy, we also offer it that way as well, where we can do like a three month intensive and do a deep dive into your visibility strategy, um, really I think sometimes people think they're coming for visibility strategy, but it also can turn into some other things too that we're doing during that time. Or we do have clients that love sticking with us for the long haul and have been with us for years. Awesome. Um, so speaking of being with you for years, I'd love to know how you've kind of landed on this mix of services. Did Flaunt Your Fire always offer these kinds of services or has it been a journey to figuring out exactly what people are looking for? Um, it's definitely been a journey. Uh, so I actually started um, as an individual, as a model, and I learned from that industry that the spaces were not safe. Um, mm. And so I dived into creating a safer space for, at the time, models and actors to get the images that they needed. Um, because we really learned in that industry that if you don't take control of your brand. If you don't own your brand, someone else will own it for you. They will determine oh, wow. your public perception. And so a large part of how Flaunt Your Fire sees branding is very much from that lens of your brand is your public reputation. And the things that we do within that, the consulting, the design, all of that contributes to what that public reputation is um, or public perception or public persona. Got but it, it definitely started very heavily into the photography mm. world. And uh, at some point that started to, <laughs> like, I'm a really curious person. So I started to ask these clients questions. And I started to discover that um, they weren't always quite sure about what they wanted to do next. And so it was sometimes looking at figuring out, okay, this is what you've always done. But like, what do you really want to do? What um, is a possibly preventing you from being more visible? And B, um, you know, what are you truly passionate about? And so that naturally transitioned into more of the consulting mm -hmm. <laughs> and recognizing like, okay, this image that you thought you needed to get to where you want to go is actually very different than what's required to get there. So let's look at creating a different type of photograph. Um, and also I have a lot of connections. So how can I start to introduce you to the right people where you can take this headshot or take this new model portfolio and actually switch from music videos or being like the sexy person to the soccer mom at Target in the Target ad. <laughs> that is fascinating. And we could probably talk about that piece all day because I am also a curious person and I would love to learn more about this. But <laughs> the first thing I'm really curious about is sort of like your 
sort of skill development around this. Um, because I think what you're outlining here is something that people hear often when we're talking about offer development, service development, you know, figuring out what do people need? What do they need next? But the part of the story right now that I'm most interested in is how you made the jump from I'm a model, I'm in the modeling industry to like offering these services to other people in the first place. Did you have a background in photography? Was that something that you were like, I could do this or I want to do this. I'm going to figure out how to do it. How did you make that leap? Oh gosh. So I have like an image of me when I was about six or seven with poor Lords on my hammer hand. And I'm like as happy as can be. Um, I used to actually sneak my grandmother's Polaroid camera when I was a kid and go like snap pictures of my family. And so photography was something I always loved. But I think that, you know, we can be programmed to believe that like there's that's not a career. You have to go to mm-hmm. school for science and which I end up going to school for science. Um, and I was modeling to pay for school. And one of the types of modeling that I was doing um, was beauty modeling. So naturally, like I already knew how to create great headshots and things like that because I was always paying attention to the lighting and the setups and things and the poses. Um, I had gotten that down to science because I was getting paid to do so. Um, But then on the other side of that, I also modeled for photography classes at a university and the students would practice out their different lighting skills and being able to direct a model on me. Um, And so (laughs) I got to know the professor really well and was just like, I am a sponge. I, I know I'm modeling and I'm getting paid to do this. But I'm also learning. And if you ever need an assistant, I'm here. (laughs) And so it just kind of naturally evolved from that. Um, And, you know, just being honest, it not being that safe space that people needed. um, And it was a lot of older men. I I didn't know any women photographers back then because this was like 2000. uh, It it was at least 15 years ago. So (laughs) there were no women um, photographers in those industries. And there were a lot of older men that were around teenage girls. I happened to be one of the ones that was considered older, but I was still like only 20 um, at the max when I decided to stop modeling and recognizing that like they were being put in these like compromising situations. um, We're really being pushed to do more sexy things, uh, modeling industry wise. And then uh, also like just, it just not being a healthy environment. So something had happened to a friend of mine that was modeling. And she really just said the best way that I could help her was to create that safe space for other people to get the imagery that they needed and not have to worry about the sexual harassment. And so I was like, okay, I mean, this is what you think I'm going to do it. And I switched majors um, from science, huge switch to art and design. Almost my entire program was graphic design and photography related. Um, And so I got some of the skills that I needed from that program. But truth be told, a lot of it I learned from actually being out in the field and creating. Well, and that's what I was just going to say is like, okay, it's one thing to learn the skill of photography or the skill of graphic design in college. But I know they're really only just starting to talk about digital marketing strategy, digital design strategy, brand strategy in those kinds of programs. And even that it's like, is, is, is this what's working right now? Or is this what's working like five years ago when you guys were actually yeah. doing this? <laughs> A company. So, okay. So tell us more about sort of how you developed the skill behind the strategy 
piece of it. Because I think the photography piece we get like, okay, uh, you know, that makes a lot of sense what you described, even if the story is also extremely exceptional. But um, how did you how did you start the process of figuring out the strategy side of things? So I'm just going to be honest here. I didn't take a course. I I did at some point take some classes um, on Creative Live. Actually, I think I may have taken one or two of your classes back then. Awesome. <laughs> but um, I had already been like years into the business. Uh, I think a lot of it just came from trial and error, honestly, learning hands on, like head first into it what works and what doesn't work. Um, and I found that a lot of what I was seeing happen in the industry, um, I tried those things and I learned that they didn't work for me. And also trying to like support models when I wasn't exactly selling strategy at that time, but saying like, here's what I saw, maybe you can try it. It didn't work for them either. And as I started going into working with bigger businesses like Christian Dior, um, I found that I needed to throw away all those templates. I needed to throw away any advice that I had seen out there, watching YouTube videos, whatever, and actually intuitively see what is working on a day-by-day basis and adjust accordingly. Um, and a lot of that had looked like realizing that templates, in my opinion, don't always work. Tactics are, they'll get you some results, but long-term, it's not results that are unique to you. And what I found also to be very true with that is following templated advice. Um, even when you're looking at a bigger business like Dior, it, it needs to be completely different. Um, the corporate strategy versus the individual retail store mm-hmm. at uh, in Washington D.C. in a very predominantly black area versus you know China. Like you can't do the same thing. The demographic of who's shopping with you is different. What they're interested in is different. Um, the culture is different. So. It really has been a matter of learning that for what works for our brand is really immersing ourselves into our clients' businesses and not just getting to know the client really well and their team really well and who they are, what they care about, what lights their fire instead of just what they're selling, but also um, looking at who their clientele is and the clients that they absolutely love and are like, we want more of them. What really stands out about their personality? And overall, we found that that overarching thing really became the values. When we looked at everything else, it wasn't necessarily um, colors or personality uh, because the personalities were very different with some of their clients, um, especially the bigger the business has got. But what we found was very aligned with the values And if we could get to the heart of the values of a brand, um, if we could get to the heart of the values of their team and their clientele and really amplify and be explicit about that, then we would attract the people that felt the best for them to work with. Hmm. I want to come back to this idea of values and how that's um, played into how how your services are packaged now. Um, But it sounds like, but before we get there, it sounds like you've also had a pretty big journey with the types of clients that you serve yes. as well. Can you walk us through that evolution and then tell us, you know, who is it that what what brands, what kinds of businesses are you serving today? Yeah. So definitely when we started, we were working with, um, it was just me actually. And I had hired um, a hair and makeup company actually that uh, Erica Corday, who you've had speak for you before, owns mm-hmm. to do the hair and makeup for a lot of our photo shoots. And it was mostly the individual, the model, the actor, either. Um, a lot of them had already been in their careers for a while, but they were making a pivot. Um, they were looking to do something 
that was either less sexy or more um, edgy. There was some type of shift happening there. And we got published in a lot of magazines um, and we got a lot of clout from that. And a lot of connections and relationships were built from that. And that led to working with uh, the hair salon or the gym um, that the model worked out at and supporting them with their branding. And also that looked like training their team to be able to take pictures with their phones or a camera that Mm -hmm. the gym had purchased. Um, It also looked like eventually working with Dior and training their team on how to create some of the content for social media themselves, because each store, you know, is very different from each other, launching these um, Instagram accounts, and then also planning out um, like in-person, like store eventing, because we were big we were a very big believer early on that we were seeing online businesses and in-person businesses. And we're like, no, you need both. And so a large part of working with businesses instead of just the models and actors was also getting them to transition from being strictly in-person to online as well, or strictly online to having an in-person component, even if it was just networking events. And that looked like event planning, event strategy. Um, there were a lot of things that I experimented during, with during that time period. Um, and now I've really found that like my comfort zone is working with businesses. Um, we still work with individuals and we're more than happy to support them, but we really, really enjoy immersing ourselves into a business and their team, even if their team is just a VA. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that because I think uh, that's another that's another thing where people are like I, I think they assume they have to find to the right customer from the get go and I don't think we talk enough about the evolution of the kinds of people we work with the kinds of businesses mm-hmm. that we work with so I appreciate you sharing that. You'll find out more about India's proposal process in just a minute, but first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Unless this is your very first time listening to What Works, you've heard me talk about Mighty Networks before. You already know they are the easiest way to bring your content, community, and commerce all together under the same digital roof. But what I want to share today is a little more personal. Since we're on the subject of creating value and thinking about the services that we offer, I have to tell you that Mighty Networks is the most responsive company I have ever worked with. They are hungry to know how to serve their customers better, and they are regularly talking to their own community called Mighty Hosts about the features they need to succeed, the challenges they run into in building out their own networks, and the opportunities they see for growth. Mighty Networks is constantly evolving and adapting to meet the needs of their customers and building a better product while they do it. If you're wondering if Mighty Networks might just be growing into the perfect solution for bringing your customers or clients together, check it out for yourself. Go to MightyNetworks.com to get started free of charge. That's MightyNetworks.com. What Works is also brought to you by the What Works Network. Now at What Works, our goal is to help you build a stronger business by sharing what's working for entrepreneurs from a wide range of industries, business models, and experience levels. And of course, learning what's working is just the first step. The real work of building a stronger business starts when you commit to taking consistent, decisive action. And the What Works Network can help you do it. 
Each month inside the What Works Network, you focus on working on your business in a specific area. This month, we're focused on creating value. Next month, we're committed to making the ask and boosting our sales. Together, we make a plan to get it done. Your plan might be big and bold, or it could be small and precise. It's up to you, your goals, and your capacity that month. Throughout the month, we provide structure, resources, and support as you do the work. Check out our hot seat coaching, flash masterminds, or weekly huddles. Ask about your nagging questions or potential opportunities in our on-demand support platform. Connect with other small business owners who are working right alongside you. Then meet up with us and debrief at the end of each month. What worked? What didn't? What did you learn? Joining the What Works Network is the perfect next step for you. If you're ready to stop working on your business in fits and starts and instead commit to a more strategic, more consistent approach to making your business stronger. We're opening the doors for new members soon. When we do, it will be the last time we offer membership for $4.99 for a year of support. The price is doubling in September. So now is the time to join us and lock in your rate. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash network to learn more. That's explorewhatworks.com slash network. Let's build a stronger business together. Okay. So let's actually get into your service packages. Do you design more custom packages for clients or your services more productized at this point? How do you actually put together a a package and say, here, this is what you need? Yeah. So it's been really fun. Um, We found that up until this point, we have not done anything that is pre-recorded or courses or anything like that, because what we do is so like tailored to the person and their business. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have what I like to call the list of yes, no, and maybe. Okay. <laughs> and so it's our business master list of um, looking at hell yes, we'll do this. And we love it. Maybe depends on the client. And absolutely not. We've learned that we do not like doing this for people at all. And so we will get you the strategy for it and refer you out to someone else. Um And so when we start working with new clients, we really start that process with kind of diving deep into what do they really need? Um, Not what they're selling. I think a lot of people start with what are you selling and who are you selling it to? But for us, it's more about like, who are you? Who is your team? Where do they want to go? What do they value? What do their clients value? And then once we have a core of that, we can begin the process of auditing, okay, what's misaligned here? Is it your messaging? Is your imagery? And from there, we start to begin to build based on their budget, how long they want to or have the capacity to even work with us because they may have other projects going on. Um, What we're recommending is going to get them the biggest amount of results and the shortest amount of time Mm -hmm. within the budget constraints that they have. And for some that has looked like um, strictly consulting, we like to call that our done with you services where we do the consulting, we do the strategy with them. It's a collaborative effort because um, we want to make sure that it feels good for them to execute on that and good for their team as well. Um, and then for some, it looks like we're doing done for you as well, which would be the design services, the photography services, those kinds of things. But we do have a master list of services. um, And it's been really fun to kind of constantly check back in with my team and see, are there anything on this list that you don't want to do anymore (laughs) that you don't enjoy? Um, 
you know, what lessons have we taken away from doing some of these services? And then what do you really love right now? What are you super passionate about doing? And changing our messaging to go find more people that are looking for that specific service too. Gotcha. I also want to come back to the team piece in a minute too, because I think this is a fascinating part of service de- yeah. design and, and, and package design. Um, but first, let's talk about your proposal process, because mm-hmm. I think that that's a, a good way to sort of give an example of how you actually pull a service package together. Um, and yeah. I think you've just gotten into that a little bit, but I want to I want to hear it sort of through the lens of what happens after someone is on a consultation call with you. How do you put that proposal together um, and what kind of options do you give people and then how do you proceed from there? Yeah. So typically um, after we've had the call, I try my best to leave away from that call knowing exactly what services from that master list are going to get them further and what they're trying to achieve. Um, And then from there, I have like a master list with my team of like, what is the baseline price? What is the minimum we can charge to not be in the red (laughs) for each one of Mm -hmm. these things? Um, And then from there, we kind of structure that together. Um, And I usually will check in with the team and say, hey, we have this new client. Here's the things on the list that they're, I think, is going to support what they're trying to achieve. Um, And then my team goes back and looks at pricing that out. Um, We use Dubsado. I don't know if systems Mm -hmm. matter here, but... Um, yes, systems matter here. Let's just make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> so we've used Upsado. Um, it's really been effective at what we need to achieve, though I will say that the process is pretty long and we don't necessarily like that piece. But in Dubsado, we go in and we create a proposal. And if the client is like 100%, okay, what we've said on the call is what we want, we just give them one proposal. There's no options on there. Nice. Um, we've already agreed to that. They're good to go. If the client's not really too sure, we'll give them no more than three different package offers. Um, Though we typically don't call them packages necessarily just because they're not pre-made. And I think that sometimes when people see the word package, they can think that it's something that was previously created and then we're trying to stuff you in there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then once we have done that in Dubsado, um, we've also like created their contract to support that. Um, And also their invoice is automatically created based on which package they choose. So it's kind of like you can send them one email with the proposal and the proposal triggers the contract and then the contract triggers the invoice and they're able to do everything in one swoop. It's super easy because we know our people are very busy. Um, And from there, they're pretty much good to go. Um, And then pricing wise, we offer we have clients at different points in their journey financially, also different points in their journey and how long they've been in business. And so we do um, offer like pricing plans for people if they need that as well. And on the back end of Dubsado, we're able to break up the pricing into monthly payments or whatever it is that they prefer. Awesome. So let me just get this clear. This is a little bit of selfishness for me, but also for our audience as mm-hmm. well, of course. But we used Dubsado on the Yellow House side of things, and we really haven't gotten into the full power of it. And so I just want to make sure that I have it right in my head how you have this set up. You have this master list of services. You know sort of what the baseline, not sort of, you know what the baseline price on all of those things are. And so when you go to put together a proposal for uh, a new client, you are literally kind of pulling from that master list in Dubsado, adjusting the price as needed, pulling the contract together from that, and then sending that all out from there. 
Absolutely. We are pulling okay. from that master list. Um, but we have our master list as a separate Google Doc that the team can update okay. as needed. Um, we found that having in Dubsado, you're able to like create small packages. Um, and there's a way that you can create a package of just one item, say, for example, a podcast cover art design. Um, but we found that that didn't really work the best for us because it took so long to grab each individual thing. And then not only did it take a long time on our side, but on the client's side of receiving this, um, it didn't look simple and pretty <laughs> for a lack of better way of saying that. So we found the easiest thing is to just manually type in, in the description of what that package is, what's included in it. <laughs> gotcha. 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 And I love that the master list, master list lives in a Google Doc very simple. Everyone can do that. Um, and I also love that it's collaborative with your team too. So let's go there next. Yeah. Um, I think that with service delivery, it's it's fairly easy or service design. It's fairly easy to wrap your head around it when you are the one delivering the services. You know what your strengths are. You know what things need to to cost ideally. But when you're involving other people, that is a whole other beast. Um, yeah. Before we get into how you actually figure that out, what does your team look like today? Yeah, of course. Um, right now, today, we have two designers. We also have two writers. Um, one has a background in strategic communications. Um, so she's been really beneficial because you know, um, she's able to kind of see our forest amongst our trees and do some of the work that we do for our clients and ourselves from that outsider's perspective. And then we also, um, we have spot for two admin on our team. Um, currently we are hiring for one of those spots. Nice. Um, <laughs> COVID, but <laughs> we, uh, have one front facing admin and they do a lot of the communication on social media, social replies, um, they do a lot of like community building type conversations. And uh, then we also have one admin that is more internal. Um, and she handles a lot of like internal processes, spreadsheets, updating um, reports, data. She's very introverted. So that allows her to do that. Um, and we're actually looking to rehire for the front facing piece. But the two designers, um, I've really enjoyed having designers that both have degrees in design, but they come from very different styles. Um, mm. And one is like very strategic and the other is very artistic. And so it allows us to kind of have the best of both worlds with that on the team. Oh, I love that. What about photographers? Oh yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> we also okay. have. <laughs> I was like, I know yeah. you have photographers. <laughs> they are not actively working. So it's like not even right. off of my mind <laughs> because of COVID. But um, we also have one photographer, uh, in addition to myself, that goes out and photographs things for clients. Um, and his strength is really uh, working with like apparel and fitness industry because he's also a bodybuilder. So something that nice. he really enjoys. <laughs> awesome. And uh, is your team full-time, part-time, mix, contractors? What does that piece look like? Um, they're mostly contractors. And that's offered okay. them the flexibility that they've really enjoyed of having more than just one client. Okay. Awesome. Um, all right. So let's get into how you actually collaborate on putting these packages together, because it sounds like it's a pretty kind of co-creative process. How Walk us through how you involve your team in actually putting together these uh, service bundles for your clients. Yeah, of course. So once we um, have like the call done and I kind of know what the client needs. Um, I'm usually the one handling that process okay. and the strategy building process of that. 
um, and I'm looking at the tangibles, I then, if it's design related, um, we'll talk to both of my designers and see which one feels the most aligned to take that on, um, especially looking at what kind of experience they have. So one of my designers really loves doing apparel design as well and working with um, the fashion industry of all different sorts from fitness fashion to like high fashion. And so things that are related to that, like we already know, goes to that designer. And so we'll talk about, you know, this new apparel client is launching their line, you know, um, here's what's needed. And then they kind of work with me to kind of refine the pricing. Um, They're also really good about asking me questions that I didn't even think of (laughs) for the client sometimes. Um, Like, for example, their shipping process or their pricing process. And so I guess that's the benefit of having like a very diverse team is um, they're able to see some things business-wise for the clients too that isn't technically what we're selling them, but sometimes can be hiccups when they're launching something new or um, actually just getting uh, like a new package offering available and things like that. Because, of course, we can do all the strategy and design and bring all the clients to them. But if their processes are kind of not streamlined and getting them where they want to go, there's that too. So they've been really good about having a meeting with me. Um, We sit down, we lay everything out, we come to an agreement of what this will look like. And then from there, the admin team takes care of the proposal process. Awesome. Um, I know that a lot of people not only struggle with sort of the logistical side of having team members help them deliver their services. But there's also a mindset side, like the ownership side of things. In the transition from this is your business and only you are delivering services to working with a team of people to deliver the service that you offer, how did you navigate getting other people's buy-in, getting other people's enrollment, and sort of opening up that that creative ownership over what you're doing as a creative person? Oh, I think that that was a journey of trust and releasing yeah. control. <laughs> and there were some times that I handled that really well, and sometimes that I honestly did not in the beginning. Um, I definitely learned in that process that one of the biggest things for me was easing team into doing more things on their own um, and giving them things that in a way that was more like, here's a result that I want versus here's how to do it and letting them do it their way. (laughs) Especially with creative team, I really learned that you absolutely have to allow them to do their own process and do things in a way that feels good for them and get to the result that you're looking for. Be clear about that result. But at the end of the day, the process has to be their own. And as long as it's being hit by the deadline, like I have to step back and take my hands off of it. And I've learned too, that when I've done that really well, um, and it's been a journey of getting to that place where I'm consistently doing that well, um, they've come up with things that I couldn't have even imagined that were so amazing design-wise. Um, even for our own rebrand of changing the name from India Jackson Artistry to Fought Your Fire, <laughs> um, I had these ideas of what I thought it needed to be, but I'm in it and it's my baby and I've had it for over 10 years. And I realized that it can't be my baby anymore. It's me and my team's baby now. And so taking my hands off of that and saying, here's a result that I want. It needs to be fire. It needs to have all the personality and allowing them to even just redesign the podcast cover art looks totally different than what I would have imagined. And I loved it so much more because of that. Wow. I mean, that's a real testament to the power of 
opening up that ownership is that if you can do that for your own brand, let alone for your clients' brands and, and the, the visibility work that you're doing for them, that's, that's huge. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, what, kind of as we are starting to wrap things up here, I'm curious about some of the mistakes that you know you've made <laughs> when it comes to uh, figuring out what services you're going to offer, how you're going to put them together. Are there any mistakes that are like top of mind for you when you think about, think back over Ooh. the last decade and you're like, oh God, I can't believe I did that. I absolutely learned that just because I can execute on something or my team can execute on it and we're really good at it doesn't mean it will feel good to do. Mm. And that was a big one for me, especially when it came to um, like photography for the hair industry. Um, a large part of what we were doing at one point um, about 10 years ago was a lot of hair magazine work, um, getting salons featured in hair magazines. And I'm sure we've all seen like these books at checkout or at Target or something or Walmart where you can pick your hairstyle if you're looking to change your hairstyle and take it to the salon and they'll do that style. Well, we were doing a lot of that work because it's what I had done as a model. I knew it so well. I could literally like shoot it with my eyes closed and it would turn Mm -hmm. out great every time, but it didn't feel good to do. These shoots took all day long. Um, There were so many photos after to edit. Um, It was heavily retouched, which is completely against what we believe in as a brand. We believe in authenticity. And now we're like making people look like plastic, (laughs) you know, and, um, and then there was just so much cleanup too. We don't think about it, but there's all the makeup and all like, if they have to fix the hair on set, there's like so much tumbleweeds of hair. We used to joke around about it and say that there's like, um, instead of cobwebs, we had hair webs. (laughs) Oh, oh, that makes my skin crawl. Uh, And so we learned from projects like that, that, um, yes, sometimes you do have to eat the poop sandwich as we call it, um, and pay the bills. But it's also really important to check in with self and with team now to say, at the end of each project, how did we feel about this? Do we want more of this? Because if we don't ask ourselves that, then we just take, we're just kind of on autopilot taking more of something that is not working. Um, I'll also say the biggest lesson too was like uh, navigating our own rebrand and realizing that it starts with me. If I can't trust my team on rebranding our brand, you know, then it's going to be really hard to do that with clients because I put way more like um, desire to see a great outcome and do well with the clients than I do with my own brand sometimes. So starting there kind of allowed that room for creativity. And as we were doing certain things with our rebrand, we got to see like, you know, hey, we know we need a letterhead, um, but it doesn't make sense to offer letterhead for clients unless it's a part of like a bigger project. <laughs> Small little things like that along the way. That makes a ton of sense. Um, We did mention values uh, earlier in the conversation, and I do want to swing back to that. I know that values are a huge part of sort of your overall philosophy of business. It sounds like it's a huge part of how you think about the services that you offer as well um, and the clients that you're wanting to bring on. But I I really want to drill down um, before we wrap up here on how your company's values, how Flaunt Your Fire's values come out in the way you 
have designed and delivered your services? Um, so I feel kind of funny saying this because I know this is about like packaging and pricing and services, but I think a big part of what we believe in is like ditching the stereotypes and being a little bit disruptive. I love and, that. Like one of our things that we say is like, screw the template, you know? And so mm -hmm. uh, we, a large part of how that shows up for us is we actually really don't fully have packages. There's not much that's pre-made or preconceived of what people need. Um, we really take the time to get to know them and where they are. And I think that that's a big value of ours is treating people as individuals and also humanizing brands and businesses. And I think that if that's our value, it starts with us humanizing the person that we're talking to as a client as well as humanizing our following on social media, our podcast listeners. Um, we're really careful about using the word audience um, because we feel like that can sometimes dehumanize them as these passive listeners, but there's a real human on the other side of the podcast. So I see that coming forth a lot. Um, I also see like diversity is a really big part of our brand too. We co-own Pause on the Play with Erica Corday. Mm -hmm. And so being able to infuse diversity into a lot of the work that we do um, with clients has looked like really supporting and creating the imagery for the first African-American female to ever be a national artist for Dior and making sure that we were actively giving input on um, what we were seeing happening at counters and stores to support that, you know, if you're going to have an African-American national artist female, you're now going to have to have a color range of foundation that supports that, which the brand didn't, I mean, we're not on video today, but the brand didn't go any darker than me at the time. Um, oh, wow. And I'm very light for an African-American female. So it also looked like using our voice and saying, hey, we can do this job that you gave us, but also know that we're not we're going to come to you and give you some additional things that maybe you weren't expecting to support where you really want to go long term instead of just the right now of getting the money in the door. Mm, thank you for sharing all of that. I think it's such a um, profound look at the power of delivering services. I mean, I think service delivery, whether it is super duper custom, whether it is more productized, is such a powerful vehicle for transformation and transformation at all different levels. And when you infuse values the way you do into that service delivery, the transformation can be uh, even greater and deeper. So I really appreciate you sharing that. India, what are you really excited about today? Ooh, I'm excited. This sounds really simple, but I'm sure you can relate because I know a little bit about your lifestyle that the gyms yeah. are reopening. <laughs> ask you if you'd been back to the gym yet. <laughs> and it's funny because my team, we really value health first. And so we're at all different levels of that. Me from competitive bodybuilder to, um, you know, some of our team members really just like working out a couple times a week. And we're all excited that the gym is reopening because it's a great way to get yourself back into your body and relieve stress and also to like network and meet people and create friendships. So I'm super excited about that. And also right now, just seeing that so many people are waking up and having really meaningful conversation that goes so much beyond what you're selling, but why are you selling it? What kind of impact can it make in the world beyond just creating money, you know, and how can you use that money to facilitate change so that the world can be a better place tomorrow? 
Amen to that. India Jackson, thank you so much for sharing how your services have evolved, how you've streamlined them, how you've uh, built the logistics and operations out behind it. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm right there with you being excited about the gym again, too. (laughs) Thank you so much. In truth, it doesn't take much to start a service-based business, and that's great. I am so glad it is so easy to put up your open sign and start taking on new clients. But if you don't get intentional and strategic about how you offer your services quickly, it's easy to get burnt out and overwhelmed. India's story of how she carefully considers the work that her agency is best at, the results they're looking for from every single engagement, and how to package it up so she's not on the hook for every client service hour is a prime example of how to take a strategic approach to creating value in a service-based business. Find out more about India Jackson and Flaunt Your Fire at flauntyourfire.com. Now, don't forget to check out Thursday's bonus episode to learn how Sean and I took an equally strategic, although ultimately different approach to how we developed our service package at Yellow House Media. Plus, we'll give you a preview of how we've continued to check in and find alignment with the particular type of service we offer at the What Works Network this month, too. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our production assistant is Kristen Runvik.